This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Jeff and Wes, I think of this as us being together for a celebratory conversation almost because you fellas have started a Hunters for Access chapter in Kansas. So now we have two chapters, one in Montana and one in Kansas, which makes us a national organization. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. So congratulations. A rare, a a rare, rare, very rare win for the sportsman. Wins (laughs) for the wins for the sportsman are are unicorns. (laughs) And you guys have found one. So I thought we'd start out by be a lot of acronyms in this podcast, I think. The first one is WEHA. The WEHA program, the walk-in hunter access program. And and Wes, you are do you run it or are you just are you instrumental in it, but you don't run it? Yeah, I pretty much run the program, Matt. Okay. Great. And you are on the board of Kansas Hunters for Access, is that right? Yes. Okay. As of very, very recently. So awesome. I appreciate Jeff and um allowing me to to serve in that capacity so we'll do great things okay all right good (laughs) i'm so excited about this uh it just it's heartwarming that the the idea is spreading it's not my idea it's my good friend's idea john coontz who's been on the podcast once in a while it's his idea just to do this in montana and i'm glad to see that it's spreading so the weha program the walk-in hunter access program could you guys give me a little bit of a history on it? Sure, Matt. I think I can do that. Um, started in uh, 1995 as kind of a pilot program um, to see if this is something that would kind of take off in Kansas. Um, do you know uh, Robert Means? Yeah. Uh-huh. He was our uh, assistant secretary at the time. Assistant secretary of what? Of the agency, so really in charge of all the operations. Okay. I had him on the podcast last night with a couple other guys from the Nature Conservancy, and he said that he played a role in getting the WEHA program up and running. Yep, he sure did. Um, That and Steve Williams was our secretary at the time. He was recently with the Wildlife Management Institute. He's also been the director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, and is currently moved on to another role um, or, or soon to be retired from that role with WMI. So, yeah, a lot of people. WM. The Wildlife Management Institute. Okay. See, I told you there's going to be a lot of acronyms. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. You just got to slow me down, Matt. <laughs> well, anytime you got to get a couple agency guys on a, in a conversation there's going to be a lot of it and I'm, I'm an agency guy myself <laughs> do you know what do you know what vpa hip is VPA yeah yes i do H-I-P. we've been in 
Yep, the Voluntary Public Access Habitat Incentives Program. So federal farm bill program that we've been involved with uh, receiving funds from for, oh, the last about 11 years. Okay. Um, so for the listener, this is the NRCS program that's funded through the farm bill that incentivizes landowners for allowing public access and doing habitat improvement. Is that a fair assessment? Yep. So you're so the WEHA program is partially funded by VIP HI VPA HIP, right? Yeah. Yeah, we just call it VPA HIP. But uh yeah. Yeah, so the, the the hunters who come to our walk-in hunting areas wouldn't know the difference of the funding mechanisms involved, but those areas are included with our general WEHA areas, so same signs and everything. But we do a little bit different. Um, it's a little different process with VPA HIP. We're able to kind of set some sideboards, create our own program with those federal funds. The unique part about those funds is – um, if you're in the grant world, it's 100% federal funding. There is no state match involved for that program at all, which has been monumental for us in, in, in adding to our access. But what we did with VPA HIP was tie it to programs. It would like be, why would it be bad if there was a match? Because then how much of the money you could get would depend on how much the state was willing to match. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we're already matching so much. You know, our, our wildlife fee fund situation is – um you know since covid a lot of expenses have gone up o&m has gone up so our our budget is um really maxed out at this point so things opportunities like that help it's not to say that we don't prioritize it but that certainly helped to supplement our program and keep it where it's at so the farm bill gets passed this year right <laughs> maybe Hopefully, yeah, right. Because a lot of times it doesn't, right? It goes into yeah. a continuing resolution, and we're in one of the most or a CR. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, do you, do you know what is being proposed for VPA HIP in the Farm Bill? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think they're asking for uh, oh goodness sake, 150 million over five years, if not. Yeah. A little bit more than that, but in is that, that an uh, increase? Yeah. Yes, it's from what? Um, uh, I'm not sure, but every t I think in the past couple farm bills when it was introduced, the the really the funding level was reduced on all of those. So it, it still could happen here, even though you know the bill's been introduced to, um to max out the program financially, but it still could come out the other end a little lower. But um, yeah, I think it was 80 to a hundred to begin with, maybe a little bit, uh, 50 to 75 million, somewhere in that ballpark. So we're doubling it, I think for the, for the most part. And um, we, over five begin years. Begin with, you mean the first time it was ever instituted? Right which was 2011. It was the 2008 farm bill and didn't actually, we didn't get allocated funds until 2011. So three years later, but that was the first go around Matt. And, and so oh, since 2011 in the last 12 years, 
it's more than doubled, assuming that things go the way you think they're going to go this time around. Yeah, that's the hope. There's a lot of support with other state agencies and and our really our lobbying body, as I call it, um, American um, goodness Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, AFWA, another acronym for you. But they um, they're kind of the lead on that and help to get that over the finish line. At least the bill introduced. So, all right. So back to the or, or origins of the program. Hey, before you move on from VPA, I think it what's something that's interesting about that is that bill was introduced by three different senators, I think, to make that change to 150 million. And one of them's from Kansas. So um, Senator Marshall is a hunter and fisherman here in our state, and he's we haven't always seen eye to eye on things with Senator Marshall, but this is one of those things where it's a good thing for our state to have this additional funding for that VPA program. So good deal for him. Do you think that that was in part due to the sportsman getting in his ear a bit? Matt, I should hope that was part of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's good to point that out, those things out because there's one thing that we, that is not our friend. It's complacency as a community. I think it's sportsmen. I think too, like it's important to recognize our state is less than 2% public land. So we're a, any access, I shouldn't say any access, but the majority of access we have to hunting is through the WEHA program and through programs like VIP HIP. So I think he recognizes that in our state. He hunts WEHA. I know that. Oh, does he really? Oh, yeah. that's cool. So, yeah. So it's, just one of those things I think he just understands probably a lot more than maybe some of our other elected officials. Yeah. In DC. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Senator Marshall actually served on our agency commission prior to going to DC. So he's very aware of our programs and, and, and how we're run. So. Yeah. That's exactly what we need. We need a lot of senators and governors and congressmen and women that uh that hunt public land then we get somewhere <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah Wes tell me a little more it started in 95 how did how I don't know I got anything you want to tell me I, I I am interested in how the acreages acres enrolled have fluctuated through time yeah so so 1995 kind of introduces a pilot around some counties around Wichita, South Central Kansas. Um, saw some great success and in 1996, kind of went full bore statewide. Um, and by 2004, I'm not sure on acreage, Matt, when we first started, but it was it was centrally based and targeted around the Conservation Reserve Program or CRP. Um, so I, I would imagine it fluctuated at a percentage of, of whatever acreage we had the CRP at the time. But by 2004, what was the, a, what's the relationship there? Um, I think for the most part in the mid, you know, mid to late nineties, um, we were still in upland bird state and that's really where our focus was probably. Those were the landowners you were most approaching were ones that had CRP. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The low-hanging fruit, if you will. 
So we, we were guaranteed habitat to some degree, especially in the early years of CRP, some really great habitat. And two thirds of our state is a pretty arid climate. Um, things are changing as far as um, our woody encroachment goes. But for the most part, the two thirds of Western Kansas is a lot like Eastern Colorado, uh, at least the, the furthest third Western part of Kansas is. But so CRP was a big component of, of deer, uh, you know, deer movement, deer hunting, even obviously upland game bird hunting, which is extremely popular still. But that's where we focused was on the low hanging fruit and CRP. And now you're at. So right now, 1.2 million. Is that right? We're, we're close. We're just over 1.1 million now. So we've been really close to the same amount of acreage for the last about 19 years. So okay. it's a shifting mosaic, as I like to call it, you know, year to year, it's, it's really different. Um, you have a, some, as Jeff probably knows, he hunts quite a bit of Weehaw. You have some staples from year to year that, that are there. And we've had some landowners involved since the inception of the program, but as you know, landowners um, pass away and land changes hands at an incredible rate, especially here in the Midwest. And um, so it shifts around a lot. So we get a lot that come out of the program and then hope the idea is that we get some other hopefully good habitat uh, to replace it. So that's happened for the most part. Now, CRP, we could have a whole discussion on that, Matt, and where that's going and, and how that's kind of leading our, our walk-in hunting program and maybe to where it shouldn't go. But hopefully we can get that turned around and get some... You're saying like CRP acreages are shrinking there? Yeah. So since 2007, this is a pretty astonishing statistic, Kansas has lost 50% of its CRP. Mm. 50%, half of it gone since 2007. That's a yeah. pretty short time frame. Lots, lots changed out there in the landscape. So... And yeah. I don't, I'm afraid what's replacing it isn't of the same quality. Oh, well, it's probably, is it going back into crops? A, a lot of it is. Yeah. But even some of the stuff, you know, that's, that's going into CRP technically now, they've got a new program called grassland CRP, which actually in Montana, they're doing some great things with, um, actually Montana and Wyoming, I believe, but, um, here, you know, it's stuff that hasn't been broke out. They're taken into CRP now and allowing them to graze, which is fine for the most part. But generally speaking, the landowners don't have to change anything they're doing with that program. And that program skyrocketed in places like Colorado, Nebraska, Texas, and Kansas. Um, oh, I had no idea. So you can get start getting government money just for native, native grassland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was a thing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a way that they're getting to the cap. There's a cap on CRP acres mandated by the government. And so to get there, they introduced this and um, it's it's replacing a lot of the, the quality acreage that we had. But hopefully we can get to a point we're working with them to get to a point where they're prioritizing um quality grasslands where we need them places like lesser and greater prairie chicken that sort of thing so we'll get there i hope in time but right now it's it's kind of smoke and mirrors yeah um, well i'm wondering if the listener is comprehending fully what we're saying here 
So let me try this on you. You tell me if I'm where I get it wrong. Traditionally, the CRP program was a program that targeted highly erodible farm country. So land that had a history of cultivation and but perhaps it's on steeper slopes or what I have you makes it more highly erodible. So the idea behind it was that the farmer would get paid for taking that highly erodible land out of production, putting it in permanent, in, in perennial vegetation to hold the soil and they get a payment for doing that. And part of the benefit to society was that that land was preserved as potential farm ground if it was ever needed, right? Yeah. So far, most part. and and now what you're saying is there's land that's never been tilled that's getting enrolled in the program, and presumably there's some stipulations that the conservation measures that the landowner has to put in place, probably having to do with the a, the AUMs. The, the there's another acronym: Animal Unit Months, the amount of grazing they do on it. Is that right? Yeah. Right. So there is a, a, a grazing plan that would go on all of these. But from my understanding at this point, in most of those scenarios, they're able to graze pretty much as they have been for the most part. So, well, how is yeah. it not just a handout then? It's ladies it's and ladies and gentlemen, it. he just no, smiled and burst. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll jump in here. I think one thing too that's important to note is, you know, Wes is right. A lot of this ground's never been broken, but the reason it hasn't been broken is because it's located in a lot of it is anyway, is located in three particular regions of our state that are hilly and rocky and it essentially cannot be tilled mm. at least not efficiently without breaking a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So, so they're going to do that. They're going to do that. Yeah. There's, there's probably 30 million acres in the state I live in or that, that are eligible. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, it's ground that was never going to be tilled anyway. So if you're asking if it's a handout, Wes maybe can't say it, but I can. It is a handout. I yeah, think. it sure seems like it to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically what I'm saying is that, that there is a, there's a ranking process for all farm bill conservation programs. And CRP has always had this unique ranking process to where you know, th those ranking criteria pretty well ensured that what you're putting out on the ground was high quality. So originally, a lot of states in the Midwest started out with like brome, cool season plantings, and we, we learned from that. And so we built the ranking around biodiversity. We built the ranking around native plantings. Um, each state gets to pick their priority areas and where they want CRP in those places get anything within those any application from a landowner within those areas gets added points. So at the end of the day, all these applications in a general sign up <clears throat> get ranked based on quality really at the end of the day of the stand. So we've, we've seen those numbers plummet for, from the last five or 10 years. They're just, they're accepting anything. So, so, so that tells you the quality is going down we're not getting it necessarily where we want it and that sort of thing. So there's a is lot that to because is that because commodity prices are high? I, that certainly plays into it. Always has. That's always been a part of CRP. Um, 
commodity prices certainly play a part in it as far as landowner interest. However, with the 2018 Farm Bill and the Trump administration, they they really gutted CRP to 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 be nice about it. They um, lowered the payment that you get for they lower they lowered soil rental rates. They mandated in statute 85% reduction in soil rental rates. Um and then they also gutted mid-contract management payments. So when a landowner goes in there to manage that stand of grass, you know, 10, 15 years of being in a thick stand of grass, after time, it doesn't really benefit anything. So you need some management practices on there. And they, they still required them, but they would no longer pay cost share to the landowner to do them. I see. And a, a host of other things. And then obviously, Matt, as you stated, commodity prices play a big role. And right now they're pretty good. So um, couple that with all the things in the 2018 Farm Bill and we are where we are. I so. see. You know, I've been working on CRP for the last five or six years. Uh, yeah, it, it, and it hasn't been as exciting as it would be if the program was flourishing. The My my role has been trying doing experiments to try to get flowering plants to grow for pollinator insects. Um, we're just starting up another five-year program. We just I just finished a five-year project, and, and now we're starting another one that's going to be in. We're going to have fields in North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Colorado, and Montana, where we're using a, a bunch of herbicide treatments to see if we can get better establishment of flowering plants. So, yeah, I, I, I hope the program turns around because any knowledge generation <laughs> that I'm doing is only going to be a value if the program turns around. So. For sure. So really from there, I can digress a little bit. So, Oh, really? this is a huge digression. We're we're, we're <laughs> light years away from Kansas Hunters for Access right now, which we got to get to. <laughs> for sure. So, um, basically, over the years, our, our focus has shifted a little a little bit out of necessity. Um, we're still focusing on CRP, trying to promote that program and um, keep it a viable option for for our walking hunting leases. Um, but yeah, like I said, by two thousand four. We had a million acres, um, and it really we we've added a little bit because of programs like VPA HIP. We added oh probably ninety thousand acres through that program over the last ten or so years, um, and so really one point one million now. The goals fluctuated from one point three to one point five million. Um, that seems like a really heavy lift at this point. Um, but we have done some really cool things. One of the things that we've added to the program, we've had, we've struggled obviously, Matt, with our our, our urban areas, um, Topeka, Kansas City, Wichita areas have struggled. A lot of private private leases, um, a lot of a lot of different components there. But mostly, after surveying for some twenty years, landowners within that area, it, it wasn't necessarily about our lease payments which is always our major assumption in a lot of cases, but it was really about being able to control some of the traffic. So after years and years. You, oh, so you would, you have surveyed landowners about barriers to them being in the program. 
Yes, we have traditionally. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Those will be interesting data to look at. Data to look at. We do that a little bit. My little group does that informally, just talking with ranchers. But yeah, so really, I think in 2017 we realized we needed to make a change, especially to get some access within our urban areas. So we were able to sort of piggyback on a cool little digital platform that we were using on our public lands um, to get data from hunters. It was sort of a check-in, an online check-in process. So the the platform at the time was called iSportsman. It was used on a lot of military installations across the nation, um, all over the place. And so it was a way for them to sort of control who was coming on. And it was a way for them to close areas, you know, on military bases when you're doing training and um, different things like that you want to close certain areas of the place. So it was, it allowed us to limit hunters. It allowed us to um, create areas, close off areas, close it off for different times. So we piggybacked on that and we went out and um, secured leases with landowners with a limited access concept. So they could sort of set the limits on how many people were in there on a daily basis. Um, They could set sort of, you know, if I'm working cattle this day, this weekend, I can close it off that weekend. If I want to keep the opening bird weekend, that's something we struggled with for years is that opening weekend to upland bird hunting here in Kansas. And this was sort of a way we haven't really transformed it out to Western Kansas, our, our strong upland bird population yet, but we're getting there. Um, but for the most part, this has allowed us to really put a little bit more flexibility for the landowner, set some limits. It also allows a lot of different flexibilities, things like quail hunting prohibited. We, we like to start out with the most opportunity, but if somebody's working specifically on quail and they don't want quail hunters on there, but they'll allow deer hunters to come on turkey hunters, then we'll, we'll open it up. So we're, we're, I hate to say we're limiting opportunity because what we're doing is we're opening up places we've never had access to before. So if we can get a few people, you buy, there, the limiting part, you mean by giving the landowner a little more discretion and what he allows people to hunt and how many people he allows on. And if he wants to keep people out of a certain pasture, cause that's where his cows are or what have you. Yep. Yeah, I think man, that that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. We were talking about limiting opportunity. There's a lot of different things out there that 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 do that. There's a lot of factors there, but yeah, we, as hunters, as you know, agency, state wildlife agency folks, we like to have full opportunity. You know, the the least restrictions you have, or um, you know, walls put up in front of you, um, the more able you're going to get out there and go hunting more. So. We don't want to put up a whole a bunch of barriers, but at the same time, recognize that uh, we've gotten to that point where maybe a few barriers are going to get us some some big waves in access. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Beggars can't be choosers. Yep. Exactly. We've opened up some really cool places. We had one open there for a little while. I think it's already out, but that's going to happen. Um, it was like two miles from the Kansas Speedway in Kansas City. So really awesome buck was harvested on that in the first year. Really, really nice one. And the guy was so, he was tickled pink. But uh, 
this has offered some really unique opportunities for us. We're up to, I don't know, 70 to maybe, oh, what are we at? Maybe 20, 25,000 acres coming into this next fall, I'm guessing. So in, in about four or five years, we've grown the program in a big way. So um, folks are able to, so let me back up just a little bit. So we transitioned from iSportsman last year to our own system. Um, so it's kind of in its infancy, but we worked with a whole new licensing company this past year. And what we did with them was say, we want to make this a one-stop shop. So people can go buy their licenses at gooutdoorskansas.com. And they can also check into these, these I, what we call an I, properties. So interactive walk-in hunting. So, so we have a website there, go, gooutdoorskansas.com. It's also an app on your phone, smartphone, um, and you can check into these properties while they're open throughout the fall, report your harvest, and check out at, at the end of the day. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, there's some there's some other states kind of at least entertaining the idea, but it's been highly successful here in Kansas and has opened up some doors that we never really thought would open. We're we're just about to add our first Western Kansas property, which. I just didn't want to quite move it out there yet because we were still getting some full access properties and didn't want to quite do that. But mm-hmm. it's allowed us, we're going to sign up a 6,000 acre property in uh, South Central Kansas um, next year that's going to offer some phenomenal opportunities. So, so just- well, that 6,000 acres, I'm just trying to picture it there. I used to date a gale that lived in Kansas, so I've been there a few times. I'm imagining... Is it CRP dominated? Um, it's a it's a native rangeland, so probably a lot like you deal with there in Montana. Okay, just, is there any are there any cricks with trees in them? Uh, there is, <laughs> there is on the north side of the property, and I hope that we get that soon. But uh, that's what not do you mean? You of, hope you get that? Oh, that's not part of the deal. It's not part of the deal. Um, there's a lot involved. Maybe maybe don't go into all that, but I'm hoping yeah, yeah, to get yeah. that at some point. Yeah. But you know exactly probably what I'm talking about, Matt. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, it's 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 deer habitat in Kansas. And so the deal we're working out right now, I probably shouldn't get too much into it, but we're working with one of our uh, really great partners, conservation organization, and they're they're purchasing the property and what they do a lot of conservation organizations do this they purchase property place a conservation easement on it and and sell it but in the meantime while they have the property they need to make some money on it uh taxes and things of that nature or in lieu of taxes in a lot of cases but um so right now they're working with us to open it up for public hunting access we'll we'll give them a lease um, but part of their acquisition agreement, I don't know the full story, but there is a piece on the river that is in, uh, in a leasing situation, we'll call it. And so, um, that are you, was, are you, can lease. you tell so us we, who the, who the leasehold or the easement holder is? I'd rather not. Matt. Okay, that's okay. But it, I, I just learned. I just learned la- last night when I was on with some guys from the Nature Conservancy that the Nature Conservancy leases out hunting land to people. 
Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to get you to admit that that's who it is, and I have no idea. I don't really. <laughs> even, I don't even really even care. But that came as a surprise to me. It it didn't totally pop my bubble for them, but uh, I wish that it wasn't didn't have to be that way. I think the big thing is they they're very focused in what they do from a conservation standpoint. It's all about that conservation easement, mm-hmm. and so. I commend them and other organizations for the way they approach that. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you, private leasing is not, <laughs> it's something very, um, very, very active here in Kansas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very aware. I mean, as it is with much of the country and it's only getting more and more, and it's almost like a euphemism active it's getting more active everywhere <laughs> uh, so uh, so the people that are in the the have acres enrolled in the program private citizens is there some component of it that's that's them thinking i want to make sure that people have a place they can go is that a part of it yeah, I really think it is, Matt. It's certainly a part of it. Um, it's, I find it to be maybe a smaller part of it, unfortunately. But yeah, I could probably give an example of several people that that's the exact reason. Um, but there's no getting around from the major reason, and um, there, there's a there's a financial incentive, um, but there, there's also other incentives. That, that we offer you know we have a statute it's not different than several states i'm sure montana has similar i don't know that for a fact but statute that limits liability for landowners that participate in yeah we have that program so um it's not necessarily an insurance policy like some people might lend it to believe but they do have some some very finite protections so um that's that's a major contributing factor and in western kansas where we have a lot of it it's <laughs> there may be a culture out there at least was a culture out there of um folks not given um enough respect to the landowner driving on property um you know closing off gates with their vehicles things of that nature and they just they just wanted it a walk-in hunt they wanted to know that it was accessed by foot only so mm-hmm. That's, that's a big component as well. So there's several things still in our favor. Um, it may seem like private lands access is dying, but I, I really isn't in Kansas for sure. Um, it's not, the interest is there and we still have some really great carrots for the landowners to participate. So that's cool. Uh, tell me about your plan for, for, Kansas Hunters for Access. I'll probably let Jeff take this one. He's got some great ideas. <laughs> well, um, I think the first thing we've kind of talked about as a group doing, Matt, is, uh, and Wes has agreed to help us out with this, is survey the existing Weehaw landowners and just see what thing ways the program can be improved, if there's opportunities for groups like ours to do work days, maybe to help them if they need the help, um, to just kind of get a general idea of, you know, 
what what's missing in the program and what would incentivize you to stay in the program beyond just more money and so i think that's we're going to use a a fund that uh wes has access to called the wild trust kansas wild trust fund and wes can correct me if i'm wrong here but it's basically a voluntary fund that you can donate to um i think when you buy your hunting license is that right wes you could donate at any time um, so there's some money in there that he's going to allow us to uh, and, and if i'm saying something wrong here wes let me know but that'll allow us to basically send a mailer out to all these enrollees and then hopefully get some kind of response back and from that i'm hoping we can kind of formulate a, a really good plan to address some of the needs that are out there to incentivize these guys to stay in the program because uh without the program there's just there's just not a lot of opportunity in this state. So it's yeah. kind of a do this and make it right, or there's just not going to be a lot of hunting going on. Yeah. That's kind of our first step that we're talking about. Uh, do you guys have a, any kind of appreciation dinner for the enrollees? I, I don't think Wes, have you, as the department, I know the department in Montana does that. But I don't think our department has ever done anything like that. Uh, no, we never have um we have four we have 14 of them so there's seven hunting districts in montana and every district has two appreciation dinners block management appreciation dinners so we've been having we've started having a presence at those and that's where we give away appreciation gifts that we buy with donations from local businesses and sportsmen stuff like that are those pretty well attended by the mm -hmm. yeah they are i went to two of them this year and there were pro there was probably 30 to 50 ranches represented at each one yeah roughly you know and i went around this if this gives you any sense of what you could expect with your mailer, I mean, I know that egg is different there. These are large cattle ranch, ranches with lots of fence, uh, some farming as well, but we got, so if there were 80 ranches represented, then half of them signed a sheet saying we would accept a day or two of labor next summer. So, and everything from, you know, some people didn't, a lot of people didn't say what they would have us do. Some people did. And the people that did, it was everything from painting to lawn work to fence repair, scouting for weeds, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm hope I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that there's a, there's some things that, that, they're similar there. They just could take the stress and the burden off it for the landowner a bit and allow the sportsman to, to say, thanks. You know, another thing I really wonder about is how, how much, how much money could we raise for appreciation gifts? Maybe we could, in this little town, we, we did all of our, we're just getting started with this. You know, I don't know where it's going to go. But just in our little town of 9,000 people, we raised $8,000 for, the, you know, we used to buy calf shelters and 
postponders and gift certificates to home and ranch supply stores. Could you imagine if you approach, if let's say we had a somebody that was on staff that was a, their job was to approach the hunting industry. How much could we raise then? Yeah, I think that's a real possibility to see something like that happening and get into some big dollars pretty quick. It couldn't be me. It'd have to be somebody, it, you know, luckily I'm not the president of ours or or like in some kind of major leadership role in ours because I all I do is hammer on the hunting industry. So <laughs> they're not they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna probably be wanting to give you know, I'm not my ask isn't gonna go very far. But yeah. I think one I think it's the, one of the important differences between and I'm familiar with block management because I hunt birds on block management in Montana nearly every year. Oh, okay. But, so I think one of the main differences is is probably at least the block management stuff I hunt and that I'm familiar with and that I see on the map. You're right. They're large, like thousands of acres, not a hundred acres here and there. I mean, there's some of those, but not a lot, but I would in West can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we do have a few large ones, but I would say most of them are probably around 160, maybe 300 acres average. I don't even, what's the smallest acreage you guys will even take West, you know, 80, 80. And there's probably a lot of those out there too. And so what the point I'm trying to get at is the, the number of farmers and ranchers we're dealing with is so much, I feel like probably on a per square mile basis is so much more than what you'd probably see in Montana. And so uh, it's just different. Like, can you do, is there enough there to do a work day on 160 acres this, this is a, some of the things that are running through my mind. Like, how do we pick which guy we go help? Do we go help the guy that's got 6,000 acres or do we go help the guy that has 160 acres? And in my opinion, they're both important. I mean, but how do you pick which one you're going to go to? And do you guys have any, have you guys fool around with that idea at all? Well, what we're going to do, because we have about 50 people signed up and about 40 ranches signed up and when these people are signing the paper i'm telling them when the landowners are signing up i'm like you don't have to decide now just put your name down and we'll contact you and and see if you need any help with anything so i'm imagining a lot of them are going to say no i'm good you know but uh our plan is to identify six or eight team leaders and give them the names of five or six potential helpers and three or four ranches or whatever and just have them sort it out who's most enthusiastic which ranchers are most or farmers are most enthusiastic about the help so that would be we factor that in uh, and and just try to do as many of these little projects as we can if we and you know there might be some swapping that goes on maybe one for the team leaders, none of the ranchers are that enthusiastic. Well, my needs are met. But somebody else has three guys, three ranchers that are like, oh, I could really use some help with this, that, and the other thing, you know. So that, I'm just thinking of it as just a bunch of communication and collaborating to figure out how to get the help where it's it's most appreciated, you know. Yeah. 
I think one of our other challenges that I can foresee is way more than half of our population is in the eastern third of our state, but probably way more than half of our weha is in the western third of the state. Mm-hmm. And so get the people where the work is to try to get them tied in and involved, I do see that kind of as a challenge, but yeah, it'll be another thing where you haven't, I haven't thought about enough to try to figure out how to address it, but I know uh, there's a lot of work to be done out in western Kansas, particularly like western, central western Kansas because of the woody encroachment that's going on out in that part of our state. Oh, so field so, crews to do clearing and yeah, we've got a real, a pretty big eastern red cedar infestation. Mm-hmm. It's not an invasive species in our state, but since fires disappeared from the landscape, it the, the eastern red cedars are showing up in places they traditionally haven't been historically. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah a year from now, you guys are going to know a lot more, and I'm going to. And I'm going to know a lot more, you know, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's an undertaking, but we got to do something. We got to do something. We know what we're doing. Nothing leads. Yeah. We've experienced that our whole life. So. I'm super excited about it. Cause I mean, I belong to several different organizations, but there's just not one organization that's focused on this aspect of access. And it's I think the, the hardest, it's the hardest, yeah. comp- I would argue, it's the most important. Yeah, and maybe I agree. For, for the sportsman, you know, maybe conservation is more important for society writ large. But for the sportsman, it's the biggest challenge. And it's a hard thing to work on because, you know, buying land is expensive. But here's a way that we can do some good with not a lot of money. Yeah. And... You're right. I mean, maybe this this isn't going to fix all the problems, but just to sit by and do nothing, I just I I can't do it anymore. So yeah. I got West knows I got two kids. I run around quail hunting and bird hunting all over the place, and I worry about where they'll go. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. when I grew up, I grew up on a on a peach orchard farm, and my grandfather would pick me up when I was 10, 12 years old and we just go deliver peaches to farmers and that was access. And those days are gone. You're, that don't, don't happen anymore. <laughs> and yeah. so you really worry about like, like where, like where my kids will go. And it's not yeah. a matter. I don't think in, at least in the upland world here, it's not a matter of overcrowding. It's the other problem we have, which is just losing places to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the one way to characterize this whole thing is it's it's tr- it's trying to approximate what you just described, where you give a box of peaches or or maybe you help somebody for a day. It's trying to approximate that in a situation where where a lot of the hunters live in urban areas and they don't they've lost that connection to the ag community. So that's the way I kind of think about it is we're giving an opportunity to anybody that wants to come out and say thanks yeah we're reestablishing the connection in a way yeah that's yeah. been really lost over time so even if it's just a few people to start with i think it will grow and i just think it's it's nothing but additive to the walk-in hunting program mm-hmm. 
I'm going to do everything with Jeff to make this thing successful, but I think it's nothing but additive and reconnecting these folks with them is, is just nothing but positive. So, yeah. You know, uh, another thing is the, the uh, three or four other States have reached out to me and we're, and we're doing similar podcasts like this with some of the, with those States as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people, it's an idea that, energizes a lot of people yeah this is a way we could do something you know so i i'm hopeful i couldn't i can't believe how many of these programs there are we've been amassing a list of them and there's about i think on our list right now i wonder if i have it right here uh 16 17 17 different states Arkansas, Colorado, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, both the Dakotas, Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. So, well, oh, Wyoming and Virginia have two, each have two. So that's 15 programs so far that we've identified. I think, I think two by beyond like work days is I, I personally think there's just a lot of education in terms of hunter behavior that needs to happen. I mean, just the beyond cleaning up, picking up trash and fixing fence for farmers and ranchers, they just want their, you know, if the gate's closed when you walk through it, close the gate when you get done. If the gate's open, leave it open. Uh, you know, there's a particular IWEHA that I go to that, and there's a parking area, it's all a walk-in, but there's nine times out of 10 I drive up, there's a coke bottle or mountain dew bottle or some kind of bottle sitting there it's just you know these are real simple things to fix in my mind yeah people- i was advocating for a, a mandatory training if you wanted to hunt block management in our state i wasn't getting anywhere with that but that seems logical to me like a- yeah I, yeah and i see the same things in montana when i'm up there I'm sure. Yeah. It's not. How it's not in easy. the world can you not put the pieces? Can people not put the pieces together? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think they but this think is like trying. the idea behind it is, you know, the, the sentiment behind these work projects and the thank you gifts is we know you put up with a lot. Thank you for, for putting up with the. One percent that are bad apples because the ni- other ninety nine percent really do appreciate it. That's that's the that's the sentiment behind what we're doing. I think it just speaks lo- what we were just saying. The connections lost for those folks. Yeah, really no respect there. They don't really know what they're getting into as far as what the landowner goes through um, to run his operation and those sort of things. It's just uh, this is here. Somebody paid for it. I'll use it and I'll abuse it. So, yeah, it is a small percentage for sure, but it shows widely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's exciting to think about where we could be with it in five years, you know? So like, we just got to just keep at grinding away at it and, and see where it leads. That's all we can do. I have a question for you, Matt, on the yeah. banquets for the landowners in Montana. Is that agency funded and put on or mm-hmm. it is? Okay. Mm-hmm. And 
we're not the only ones. Montana Hunters for Access is not the only are not we're not the only ones that have a presence there. Some local sportsmen's groups and show up and they'll have gifts. And uh I've seen I think I saw oh the Mule Deer Foundation was there one year. So there's usually some there's usually usually some presence by sportsmen's groups, but it's it's funded by Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Prime prime rib dinner. And they usually, that's when they get their sign-ups. They do their sign-ups there or uh, some of their sign-ups there. Or, and not all of them, some of them. And they update everybody on the program and changes the program. Do they... People, uh, see, people seem to... They seem to really enjoy it. It's a it's a chance for these people to get together with their neighbors. Their neighbors from invite, their neighbors they from invite, fifty miles away. You know. <laughs> do they invite like uh, folks that aren't enrolled in the program, like potential enrollees? No, but, they don't. They don't. They don't. You know? It's not a bad idea, yeah. but they don't. Huh? That's well, interesting. I think. Yeah, we we've never done that in in Kansas. Um, <laughs> I see the purchasing nightmare that 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 is, um, and and what we deal with anymore. Um, but certainly something that I think we ought to be looking into. And what a great platform for for Kansas hunters for access, Jeff. I have been, yeah, you guys could have a barbecue. Yeah, and we could do it. I you know we'd have. Would you say fifty to sixty ranches represented at each one of those ish? No, there, there were there were probably fifty or sixty all total at the two events. Okay, so we you know we have a lot like Jeff said a lot of eighty acres a lot of one sixties we got a lot of landowners probably four thousand in the ballpark. Wow, so that would be yeah, that would yeah. be difficult. And we traditionally use partners and stuff to feed people and things of that nature. But I think it's something we ought to look into. Man, even using like like Jeff mentioned earlier, our wild trust donation funds to do something like that. But we still have to go through our state purchasing guidelines on that. So never mind. But <laughs> <laughs> you are still in a fact finding phase of this. When it comes time to to do something to start work projects say how are you gonna how are you gonna find hunters how are you gonna reach out to hunters and ask them to participate it's something i thought about just frankly like at this point just word of mouth has been extremely successful anybody you talk to about this idea they're like oh yeah sign me up mm. i'll come help now whether that actually turns into somebody that will show up and help yep yeah. No idea. But yeah. so far, you know, and I'm pretty tied in with some other groups that I can get the word out pretty good. You know, it's and it's at that point, I would hope it would get to a point to where it's kind of grows itself and the word gets out on its own. Yeah. But well, and now you're now you're gonna get to you're right as we speak, you're leveraging my ginormous yeah, platform, there you go. right? So, but I think too, like, I mean, you, you've been helping us with trying to get a website presence. It'll be helpful to have a website to, you know, point people to, to, 
to get on and get signed up. I mean, those, those things are all going to help us get our feet on the ground mm-hmm. and try to get some kind of army of volunteers to help. Yeah. And I've done very little there other than point you in the right direction, but at Atlas McKinney, the, the guy that's developing the web that developed the website for this thing deserves a lot of credit. He's done a lot of work. So in the website, I don't know if the domain donate domain name is up yet is instituted, but it's going to be called huntersforaccess.org. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's going to be a while before I air this. Uh, but I, I think if you type that in, by the time we I air this, that, that should be up and running. You should be able to make a donation. You should be able to sign up for a work project in Kansas. Um, and um, I think Montana one, and maybe some other states by then too. So yeah. one thing we have going for us in our state too is our BHA chapter, um, I mean, they're focused on a whole bunch of different stuff, but they just recently shifted gears and they're taking more of a focus on walk-in hunting access as well. And they've actually got some work days that they're working on oh. scheduled right now on Weeha properties. I think working with your habitat specialist, Wes. Um, so, yeah, and I'll let Wes talk a little bit about the habitat specialist, but this would give them kind of the, a number, some people that would, uh, you know, it would give them that army of volunteers to, that, that you need a lot of hand labor with. And uh, I'm hoping that, you know, with BHA's help too, we can help grow this part of Kansas Hunters for Access. I mean, I think there's some people that will be more than happy to help out in both. Yeah, that's a logical partner for this. Yeah. Just to Matt, just to speak on our habitat specialist program in Kansas, we partner with Pheasants Forever. On right now, we just have four private lands habitat specialists out there. So basically, think uh, habitat contractors um, actually implementing the projects on the ground. A lot of what we're doing is is uh, brush management, uh, clearing eastern red cedar that sort of thing. But we also have one that specifically works on, on wetlands in Southeast Kansas. And um, so we, they have different priorities, but that this was the intent all along is that they work on walk-in hunting properties. So um, we have. Okay. They four, these are four state state employees. Um, yeah. So they're a partner position. So they work, you know, their shirt is pheasants forever. Shirt. I see. Okay. Right. But, the money comes from us through an agreement with Pheasants Forever. Um, and so, but they, they're supervised by our biologists out there in the field. So it's and, a, and and the idea is that they're gonna they're they're tasked with helping landowners improve wildlife habitat, and you're trying to ha- have them prioritize landowners that are in the WEHA program. Exactly right. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. We've added. What's, yeah. yeah probably what's interesting about that is, go ahead, Wes. Oh, I was just going to say, we probably added 5,000 acres in one of our focal areas where we had one of these, just from them driving around, seeing that truck out there and the Pheasants Forever Habitat Specialists out there doing work. So, <laughs> wow. Good word of mouth. Yeah. We'll sign them up for like a three year contract to go out there and do some work and move on down the line. It's been successful. Yeah. So, just good. have four, though. 
So we'd like to yeah. get more. Yeah. So BHA's work with that is on the habitat side, which is where these habitat specialists are. And that's where I really think like the this Kansas Hunters for Access can complement that program because we can do the things that the habitat specialists probably technically can't do, like painting fence or pulling wire or painting a barn or picking mm-hmm. up trash. And that's they're not there to do that kind of stuff. They're there to work on habitat. Yeah. So I think it'll be a, a really good complementary relationship if we can get some of that to happen. Yeah. Yep. I think they can help steer a lot of projects too. Yeah. Um, we reach out to folks and a lot of it, I think as our field biologists sort of prioritizing what they see probably needs the most work here and there. But if we have more people to help steer people to us and then we can prioritize the best projects and get some really good stuff done. So Cool. Anything else before I end with my plea to the Kansas hunter? Well, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think you're on the right track. Um, somebody needed to do something. I'm glad you took the initiative or you and John took the initiative. I want to give John some credit as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, this is, um, I think this can be really good for Kansas and for folks that don't, that are Western big game hunters and, you know, have access to the 30 million or whatever acres there are in Montana that are is public ground. There are places like Kansas out there where, you know, we've got a million acres and an 80 acre track is a win for us. And so it's important that we have this program. And it's, I mean, the, this, the, the understanding of the scale here in Kansas and the benefits of it, is different than the understanding of the scale in Montana, if that makes any sense. So I don't think a lot of people really understand, like, why would you only want a million acres, you know, but we don't have a million acres. We got nothing. (laughs) Well, and there's also that, that like in Michigan, if you had 80, where I grew up, if you had 80 acres, that was, you could hunt your whole, you could hunt your whole life on 20 acres and be, yeah. successful sportsman yeah. oh i mean so yeah where we have 30 million acres you need you need a thousand acres just to get started you know with right with, yeah with with big so, game at least yeah. uh but the bottom line and, is and the thing is we're all but it's all connected you know it's all connected that's like what you your your opportunity there is connected to our to opportunity and vice versa the more people can get access to quality hunting in their own state, the less they're going to other states and 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 exacerbating crowding issues there. We all need to be working together on this stuff across state boundaries. And in, in my mind, it's all connected. So, so yep. there you have it, Kansas hunters. Uh, this is your opportunity. Get involved with this. The, the infrastructure is coming is in is 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 in place, and it's 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 getting put in place. This is your opportunity to if you want if you're worried about the future of hunting, here's a way to get involved and do something to perpetuate this thing that you love. You know, I I spent most of my life as a hunter not worried about this crap, but I'm worried about it now, and we all got to step up and try to facilitate we got to facilitate uh public access to private land it's it's crucial to our, to our future 
So, and I thank you two gentlemen for everything you're doing there. It's awesome. Well, thanks for what you're doing, Matt. I, I love that we're focusing on, on some of the big hitting issues here and that's, that's, that's access and, and, and habitat. So like I always say, I say it a lot. I know we, our agency's involved with focusing on, on some other things, some things that you've talked about deeply before. And, um, at, at the end of the day, we, we need more access. And I think that's where our focus should be to, to be able to really take that hunting heritage to the next step and continue to perpetuate it. So, so what we need to focus on and, and, and Jeff's taking the right steps to do that. So hopefully we can accomplish a lot. Best of luck to you, gentlemen. Uh, I'm here to help any way I can. So let's let's keep talking. Thank you. All right. Talk Thanks, to you later. Sir. Bye. Okay, bye.